Welcome to the Zanbergen Report, where wealth strategies and pop culture collide, featuring your distinguished host and certified financial planner, Bart Zandbergen. Welcome to our show of Dream Chasers and Wealth Makers. We are thrilled to be back in the studio today with a new episode of the Zanbergen Report. I'm proud to bring in the movers, shakers, and difference makers who are passionate about sharing what they have learned and what you need to know today. And today, my special guest is a name that some of you just haven't heard for a while, Letitia Burbaum. Tish, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Bart, for having me. And this is a new location, so so exciting. Yeah. For me. Uh, when you get to come into studio, you'll see this is a it's a great um, it's a great venue. So we're, we're we've been very happy to record here. So this has been a crazy year, and some people are wondering what the title of today's show is. So the only way this is going to have any reference to anyone, and both you and Danielle that are here in the uh, office, um, are probably have no idea. But from Seinfeld episodes, Seinfeld was known for having a show about nothing. is about nothing Um, but what I should probably really say is a show about everything because we've had quite a quite a crazy year I couldn't come up with a better name so that was my little catch you don't you probably don't know Seinfeld do you too young never watched it fake it no great thanks so anywho (laughs) um, a lot to cover Uh, in the last now 12 months 13 months you know, I, I, I reflected back and look at, of course, we've all lived through a pandemic. We've had social unrest, political unrest, political changes. Today was some big news um, with regards to just, I think, more social than anything. Um, but most importantly, Tish, we have not, and the listeners have not seen or heard from you for quite some time. So tell us all about you. How's life been for COVID for you? So interesting. Well, I, you know, everyone, I take it day by day. That's for sure. (laughs) Um, I think it's been an opportunity to um, reset and reevaluate and charge forward. I think that's kind of my, um, my motto in general. I I think that's always my motto, but in general, and um, I have, Listeners, you don't know. I mean, I've been still working out of home. Um, we opened a new office this year, and and um, really excited to be um, having guests come in and just really moving forward. And as Bart knows, I am a little hesitant, and so as you guys know, my I don't know my daughter is um, autoimmune, so I've had to take things a little bit differently, and how we approach things and how we communicate. And um, I did, I've done everything differently, but interesting enough is I feel like I've had so much more productivity this year than probably ever before. And, and it's just the way that I've been maybe managing my day, managing my time, but it still feels really rewarding if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah, that's that's great. And thanks for, thanks for the, the rundown. And I think people are gonna appreciate knowing what happened to you. All right, let's look at the last year. So um, a common question that both Tish and I are getting is the market seems to be doing so good. How could that happen? What's happened? Um, obviously, we've been through a pandemic. And so how does a market do well during a pandemic? But just some some statistics with regards to that. So around mid-February of last year through mid-March, so this is of 2020, 
the market, and when we say the market, we're referring to the S&P 500. So just very broad base. That doesn't mean someone's portfolio. Certainly doesn't mean our clients' portfolios, but just the market in general um, fell almost 50%. Uh, and that's a lot. And that's a very short period of time. Quite different than the 2007 through 2009, where it was a very slow drip uh, recession. And then many people may not know, but by Thanksgiving of the same year, the market was back to its original place and then reached new highs by the end of the year. So what happened? Well, there's, there was areas that were hurt and then there were areas that, that actually flourished during that time period. So one for sure is technology and communication. Um, that's what all of us who worked from home were counting on. So those companies did quite well. Big box stores stayed open and they did quite well as they were the only thing open. Um, the government was distributing trillions of dollars, actually. Um, and that certainly helped with the economy. And if we look at where we are today, it's basically in less than a year, vaccines have been distributed. So those are all things that I think have really helped to support. Um, Tish, you want to add anything to that? No, I think you're, you are um, absolutely on point with all of that. And and as you know, market doesn't like uncertainty. And so I think that's kind of what led into that of, um, in March of a lot of uncertainty. And now as the, everyone's getting a lot more confidence, like what you said of people getting vaccinated and the economy opening back up and having more, the idea of a normalcy coming up is, is definitely giving a lot more hopes of them, of everything moving forward to kind of a normal going forward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, while not related to the stock market per se, but certainly the economy, the, the real estate market. I mean, it, it seems nationally from everything I can tell that that real home prices are up roughly twenty percent. Yeah, begs the question: How and why could that happen? So everything that we have researched shows that the, there just hasn't been supply. People were kind of a deer in headlight, didn't want to move, didn't want to to change. So supply is down, um, which brings the prices up. So I think that's pretty interesting. And then just to kind of add to that, probably the last piece of that overall situation is interest rates have been, well, at some point near zero. Now they have inked up just a little bit, but the Fed has made a commitment that they're going to stay low for the next couple of years. We have seen a tick up in the last couple of months, and at least in 2021, and that has had an impact on specifically technology companies because they're more driven by interest rates and their profits uh, but overall, if we look historic at the last 20 or 50 years, I think you would agree that interest rates are still very, very low. Well, and to add to that, Bart, I mean, let's cut out a little bit more of a human nature in there. So say you've had families locked up, staring at each other for the last year, and they're like, we need a bigger place to live. Yeah. And then people have also realized, hey, I can be anywhere in the world. Maybe my company doesn't have to go back. And we can do something more virtually. So people are seeing a lot more flexibility. Like you're seeing a lot of these tech companies saying, hey, maybe we might not go back. And with interest rates so low, it's providing opportunity for people to relocate, maybe move to a different place that they wanted to live before. So you're seeing a lot of that as well. And, and people are being able to have more flexibility of where they want to live their life. 
and, um, and having that ability to move. And so I think that all of that combining, as you know, right, interest rates drive the opportunity for people to buy as well, right? If it's less expensive at the end of the day, it's an offer, it's making it more affordable for them. Right. And if we play that forward, and again, neither of us know for sure, but inventory is increasing. That's what mm-hmm. real estate experts have said. Interest rates are starting to inch up a little bit. So yeah, a little bit. So I wouldn't be surprised if at least cools off, you know, real estate market cools off, but again, nobody knows for sure. Um, so the other thing is let's look at the industry. So we get the question a lot of which we don't have an answer, but how about going forward? Where, what do we see as far as the market going forward? We can certainly have an opinion and have, I think a tilt, but at the end of the day, we don't know. Um, but now let's look at the industries that to your point have been sidelined. So you look at amusement parks, you look at uh, hospitality, you look at travel. People have been spent up in their house for so long. So I think it is an argument to say that these companies and those industries, those specific industries will probably do well, become more profitable. And and I think would beg for a, a reasonable market this year. I agree. I agree. I, I think that you're going to see more structural changes. So how people used to do things prior, they have learned more efficient ways about conducting their daily living. And so that can make them more efficient with their process. Right. So they can do things differently. Right. Now, I, I want to be very clear though. And, and I know you both, you and I are both aligned on this. The, the market doesn't move in a straight line. So that's not to say that we won't see some sort of, of volatility, correction, whatever word you want to use. Um, but fr- from a fundamental standpoint, um, I think we're in a reasonable place. Yeah. And I think we'll continue to see, um, you know, they're using the words micro bubbles in our, in our um, economy, like our market. But if you say, th- see things like, um, someone's tweeting a company and then all of a sudden the market's going up, not necessarily based on facts or data, then you might see some of that happening in our economy as um, the markets are running up and people are oper- having an opportunity to invest in, in new things that they haven't invested in before. Right, right. So there's another area that I think was very counterintuitive this last year. It's just, this was just an afterthought. We were almost wrapping up this subject, uh, but multifamily uh, living right? So um, investments or people own properties that are apartments or so forth. Um, you know, given the, the, the laws or the extension of, of some rules that allow people to not have to make payments or defer payments, you know, pretty much nationally, the, the, uh, the percent of rent collected was still in the very high 90s. So I think that shows a commitment of people to continue to want to, to pay their bills. And it, and it did well for you know, the underlying investment are people who have invested in, in those type of properties. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I think we'll continue to watch that shake out over time. I think, like you said, um, we ended up finding out a lot of these things were under contracts and durations and people were still making their payments. So which was very different than 08, right? And when people weren't making their payments and they right. were and they were letting their properties go. Right, right. So anything else that you've been hearing, Tish, that, that you want to address on this show about nothing? (laughs) 
Um, yeah, no, I started to go there. Um, I think a big buzz, and I know that you've talked about it before on the show, is you know this um, Bitcoin and regards to different currencies out there, and and um, you know what does that look like in our, our marketplace going forward? Yeah, so this is an area that I'm I'm still under high investigation and research, but, you know, from a basic standpoint, you know, I am understanding and, and, um, at the end, I'm still trying to decide whether it's a, it's a really, really worthy investment. Now they're going to have some listeners that are, are not going to agree with that, but I'm still probably the better answer is I just don't know for sure. But what we can say is there seems to be a, a hysteria about it. I mean, if you look at Bitcoin as being the I think the premier, at least the, the the most expensive, as far as I'm aware, cryptocurrency. Yeah. I mean, shot up to sixty three thousand dollars as of right. as of uh, Thursday or Friday of last week. But I think it's also worth noting that um, this last weekend it crashed by crash. It dropped about ten percent in value. Yeah. So there's some there's there's been talk in that world. What does this mean? What does it mean for Bitcoin? What does it mean for cryptocurrency? Um, there are, there's been some, some, I guess, uh, reasons or, or alleged reasons. Um, and that was that one, there was a massive blackout in China that had a lot to do because there's a lot of Bitcoin training, uh, trading there. Uh, then there was some, there's been rumors that have been swirling about because of that, and, um, that, that there has been a crackdown by the U.S. about um, regulating crypto firms. And, and from everything that I can see and read, that, that doesn't seem to be true. Um, but what, what does seem to be verified, again, this is from just my reading, is that there is some, ver- uh, some cracking down on cryptocurrency in South Korea. So whether that's going to have a big deal overall, um, but for the reasons that it's being used for illicit dealings, which... Anything think that's the original history of, of Bitcoin, which is not the case today. Um, anyway, it's certainly an interesting subject. I think every one of our investors who have had meetings have asked about it and what it is and should they be involved. I mean, as a point of reference, even with this recent, it was a nearly a 10% dip this week and Bitcoin is still up 89% year to date. So I mean, that's a pretty respectable return. I think the bigger question is, is it sustainable and is it the right, is it the right cryptocurrency? I know that we have uh, acquaintances and even some clients that are, are very, very versed in this and are, are, are spending time in, in many, many different cryptocurrencies. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to just reference one thing as we're talking about markets and economies and how that plays in factor with, with everyone just in general is. I don't, I don't think I've had a conversation with one client that says, Hey, bring down my risk in the last several months. Not at all. In fact, they're all like dial up the risk. And so I think it all comes back to, and and I think what's important to us that we always do is like understand your risk and understand the reward of the portfolio and making sure that you're taking on enough diversification that you're able to stomach whatever volatility that portfolio has. And so I'm always a big fan of diversification and being able to help offset that. So then that way, 
when all areas of the market do well and areas that, that don't do well, they overall, at the end of the day, we're still able to, um, for us, take care of our clients' overall objectives, right? And that's the most important thing. And, and we talk about this all the time, their family index, their family index. And, you know, do we need to beat the S&P? Do they want to participate and, and, and can compete against that? And really understanding what's important to you. And not necessarily keeping up with the Joneses, because it doesn't necessarily mean the Joneses have your goals and objectives in mind. And the most important thing is working with someone that understands your goals and objectives and then going after it and being smart and strategic. Like maybe you want crypto. Okay, great. But how much of your portfolio is that really um, applicable? Or maybe you want something else that's more risky. How much of your portfolio are you willing to take on that risk? So those are the conversations that you should also be having when you're saying, hey, I want to take on more risk or I want to you know, be diversified, making sure you understand that. Yeah. And I think you bring up an, an excellent point. It was very related is, is uh, what I feel that we're doing a lot now is managing clients' emotions and mm-hmm. current emotion is euphoria, right? To a degree, euphoria in the fact that that the market is doing well, the economy seems to be picking up. And to your point, well, maybe we should take on more risk. And to me, that's a warning sign <laughs> because in my career, during when, when that happens in, in masses, that's usually a sign that we're coming near an end of a, of a cycle or a period. So for what it's worth, I mean, I'm, I'm not being, I don't think I'm being counterintuitive to my earlier statement that, that we, sh- we should have a, a, a reasonable market this year. But I think things are cooling off. And so what we might call a cooling off period and, you know, chasing returns is always a very dangerous, slippery slope to my opinion. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I completely agree. Oh, you know, it's, oh, go ahead. No, I was just, um, I want to hear what you have to say, but I was just thinking of something else. So um, whether it's a stock or whether it's a cryptocurrency and, and so, you know, Bitcoin's down 10% or something. And someone says, well, and it, it's down 10 so or 15%, let me buy it. And I had to respond to a client. I go, it's, it, it can be like catching a falling knife, right? Because just because something's gone 10% or 15% or 50%, it doesn't mean it's coming back up. Not everything bounces back up. So like on what basis do you, are you expecting this to come up? So yeah, just a point. Yeah, no. And, and, and now that we're still talking about crypto, that's the biggest problem that I struggle with is being able to have the data, the analytics, the numbers to be able to support those returns, right? When we're evaluating a company, we run all sorts of metrics to be able to make sure that they're profitable and their cash flow and, you know, what's their yields returns. I can throw all these analogies that we use to be able to evaluate, to be able to bring on a, a fund into our portfolio or recommendation. So it's absolutely interesting to see how this will continue to play out and how people will use matrix to measure if you should buy it or if you should sell it based other than a hunch, because yeah. um, I, I need more certainty than a hunch. Right. right. All right. There's, we have a few minutes left. And since this is a show about nothing, we're going to talk about something completely different. <laughs> just Let's for, go. Let's do minute. it. So I think this is, um, I just find it really interesting. We've, it's been a few years, I think, since we've talked about this topic, but um, it's related to a referral that uh, we just got. And it's, a, and it's a, a person selling their company in the eight figures, so well over $10 million. And so how to handle taxes. And so, 
you know, knowing ahead of time that something like this is coming is your advisor, your CPA or, or your financial advisor can come up with ideas and the ideas that we are giving to this particular household is asking, first of all, what kind of charitable intent do you have? And what I found out was that they have, they were intending to giving up to $5 million to their church. Great. So if you're going to do that anyway, this is probably given the amount of this, of this transaction could be the biggest year of their entire life. You know, who knows, maybe lightning strikes twice, but let's just say it's the biggest one in the upcoming years. Why not take the tax deduction now and then you and have, you know, there's different options, but one option is either the, the charity gets the income for the rest of their life and, or you can parse it out as you will. So there, there are tax planning slash philanthropic planning tools called charitable lead trust, charitable remainder trust, donor advised funds. I've said all those really fast, but those are our vehicles that allow someone who has charitable intent anyway to save some money in taxes when you're going to have a big income year. Yeah. So we could have done an entire show just on that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, It's a great strategy. Um, Everyone has um, their, they either it's a fit for them or it's not. And it it really depends, but we have seen some major success stories of some of our clients utilizing this one tool. Um, And um, it it takes a collaboration, which is really cool because it it takes collaboration. I call it your team. I call, I I say Bart and I are your quarterbacks all the time, but it takes collaboration of your CPA. It takes collaboration of your estate attorney, um, maybe business attorney and um, us as wealth advisors. So it's really a a neat um, tool to be able to utilize and have all of your think tanks behind you to be able to kind of come up and say, okay, is this the right strategy for you? And then being able to really see the impact of that. So it's really, I, like you said, I I have seen some great experiences with it. Yep. All right. So that was pretty quick covering that many items. So I want to thank everyone who was tuned in. Hopefully you enjoyed our very random show about very random things, but this has been a lot of fun and Tish was great. Uh, Although we talk every day, it's great actually to see you on the show. And we look forward to being back in the studio again next week. Cheers. Tune in next week for the latest edition of the Zanbergen Report, Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Catch up on our recent shows by visiting podcast.bartzanbergen.com. The Zanbergen Report is also available on iTunes, iHeartRadio and Spotify. Interested in being a featured guest on our show or have a question you'd like to hear us answer? Email podcast at bartsandbergen.com. The contents of this podcast episode do not constitute an offer of securities or a solicitation of an offer to buy securities and may not be relied upon in making an investment decision related to any investment offering Access Wealth Management LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Access does not warrant the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. Opinions are our current opinions and are subject to change without notice. Prices, quotes, rates are subject to change without notice. Generally, investments are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed and may lose value. Brokerage services are offered through to Sarah Capital, member FINRA.